Hello, and welcome back to the 6AM Run Podcast. I am your host, Mark Paisan. Always a pleasure to have you here. We have a really good show lined up for you today. We have Dr. Michelle Gordon, who is going to talk to us today about so many things, and we will include running in there. However, as you know, this show is brought to you by 6AM Run and 6AMRun.com. Head over to the website and sign up for 20% off of your first order. Dr. Michelle Gordon or Dr. G, thank you so much for being a part of the show. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience? Well, hi, thanks so much for having me. So I'm a retired general surgeon and I spent about, I don't know, 30 years discovering that I was in the wrong career. And (laughs) uh, when COVID hit, surgery got really, really difficult. Uh, It was already kind of hard because I realized I had a lot of wanderlust and it's hard to make money if you're tied to a, a place if you're not there. So I had this big surgical practice. I had grown it to five surgeons and I just ended up closing it and walking away from all of it because I was really burned out and unhappy. And I guess 30 years is better than 31, figuring that out. (laughs) So you walked away, and I know literally and figuratively, but what did you walk away? What did you do? What did you end up doing? Did you take a break? Did you try to look for something new? Did you search for that missing thing? What happened right after you you walked away? Well, I had uh, been dallying with life coaching, and I first started working with women in menopause because I realized for me, menopause was super disruptive and menopause can be really, really disruptive for women. And I thought that my calling really was to help women in menopause understand the condition and get through it easier. But as I grew in my coaching career, my life coaching career, I re- it, it really became apparent that menopause doesn't matter in this particular it- instance menopause gives us an opportunity to reinvent ourselves but it is not something that you can overcome or a medical condition to treat or anything like that it's just a new phase and i decided that to remove the focus off of menopause and start to talk about launching yourself relaunching yourself and how you can reinvent yourself and love every second of your life at any time and would you say that you were kind of coaching yourself also to kind of relearn what you, and I'm, I'm not a therapist. I'm put that out there right now, but do you think you kind of were, were doing the same for yourself that you're doing for these other women? Yeah. I mean, one thing that's really great about being a life coach is that I use life coaches in my life and I learn a lot through them. And in learning that I'm able to obviously take that back to my audience, but I also do a lot of, a fair amount of self-coaching and realizing and finding out what it is I really wanted, how I wanted my life to look, and then to start to build everything around that has been the big difference, the big key for me. So to go back a little bit, you'd mentioned, and you said, and you, you mentioned a lot in your website and your Instagram about burnout. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us listening, me included, have all suffered from from burnout one way or the other. Was it gradual for you? Were you the type of person who you were nice to yourself and you recognized it? Or did you continue to tell yourself, just get through it? You're a doctor. You went to medical school. This is what you're supposed to do. Or, you know, how did that burnout kind of evolve for you? 
Yeah. So I think it started with me recognizing that I was super unhappy in my career, but telling myself to put my head down and just get through it and deal with it. And so in a sense, I was gaslighting myself into not feeling the feelings that come with burnout. And so I kind of went into a depression. And in fact, uh, I don't talk about this very often, but I did actually have some suicidal ideation. And that was really the thing that said to me, look, you know, nothing is worth that. And that's when I started making a plan to exit from surgery. How did you kind of, you speak in a way that you make it an exit from it? Like, did you have anybody to talk to? Is there, did you have any coping mechanisms? How were you able to transition out in a way that you're now able to be in a healthy headspace? So I did talk to some people, but it wasn't like I, I sought out professional help or anything. I recognized that something was wrong and made started taking steps. Now I own my own practice and I was in this... I guess, incredibly privileged position, I had saved enough money to just stop working. And I mean, I'm not 100% retired. I mean, I'm retired from surgery, but like if I didn't want to work for the rest of my life, that's not something I could do. I mean, I still need to work, right? But I really, you know, when the pandemic hit and it became really difficult to even walk into the hospital without going through some massive security, you know, rigmarole and it just really felt like we were being policed. That was enough for me. And I also worked the front lines of COVID in New York in March of March through, you know, June or so of 2020. And in New York, nobody was surviving. Nobody lived. And uh, I was really demoralizing. And I just, I just did not want to be around that. And so I set an end date. I told the hospital, you know, what my end date was. And and then I took like two years. It's really been two years to kind of reacclimate and kind of learn how to work again. I mean, I, re- I really, and it's not like I didn't work, but I didn't do any focus work. So I kind of let my ADD go and all of my neurodivergence just kind of take over. And I took the time to really rediscover who I am and what I wanted. Well, that's great to hear. I'm glad you're able to do that. So now you have this show launch your life Mm. where it seemed like you're really passionate about this is something that you want to do. Kind of talk about what you do in that show, what you talk about, how you try to help people. What is that show to you? Well, so what I did with that show, so I had, I started podcasting back in 2019 with a show called The Menopause Movement. And that show I didn't care that much about. And as I started to realize that the reason I didn't care was because it was about menopause and I really want to talk about reinvention and all the changes that we have to go through to, especially in our minds, to reinvent ourselves and start to make every day a great day. I started looking for guests who had relaunched themselves or had mindset, you know, first. And I did a few episodes like that, maybe six or seven. And then I realized that I had an opportunity to serialize my memoir. So I wrote a memoir back in 2018 and I just let it sit on the shelf. And so starting with episode 162, I have done a bunch of episodes on just on what it was like growing up as me and the trauma and just, I mean, I grew up in this really weird town that only grew because of the Manhattan Project. And so it's just, it's just really, it was an interesting life. It was a lot, a lot of trauma. And 
the reason why I thought it might be good to serialize it is because every story I talk about how my brain helped me, how my brain kept me from either, you know, remembering something that was super traumatic or my brain kept me safe through uh, these traumatic instances and how I've been relaunching my life since I was five. And I'm kind of on hiatus with it. And I did seven episodes. I got through my childhood and I'm getting ready to go into the teenage years. And I've, I've decided that I don't want to put out crap. And so I've just stopped posting for a little while. And this is the first time in four years that I didn't post weekly on the podcast. So there's a lot of back stuff that's awesome. Right. But it seems like this is, you found a, a cadence that works for you. I looked at your your Instagram before I started the show and it looks like you're happy that you're in a good headspace right now. And I think you have a lot to offer to people. And that's what we're trying to do here at 6am run. So, but you did mention that you are a runner. You do run. What's your favorite part of running? I know so many runners, I'm a runner myself and I know my, what's your favorite thing about running? You know, there's sometimes when you go out for a run and nothing goes wrong. Like it's, you just go out for a run and your legs bounce and, and you can run fast. And, and especially at the end, at the very last bit, when you can do, do your little race back to the house. And it doesn't happen to me that often. Usually I have to fight with myself to go out and do it because I have this belief about exercise being painful and I'm still over, trying to overcome it. And so one of the ways I work on that with my mindset is to think about how great I feel afterwards. Because get at the beginning, it sucks. It just sucks. The first five minutes, just they just suck ass. And, and that's just how it is. But then, you know, I get into this breathing. And I've had, uh, over the last couple of years, I've had some injuries. You know, I had some plantar fasciitis, and then I had a pulled muscle, and I, I don't know, some more neuroma or something going on with my foot. And so I, this year has not been a lot of running. But my last run was maybe five days ago. And it was, it was amazing. I mean, I just went... I, I mean, I'm kind of not fit right now, so I'll run and I'll walk and I'll run and I'll walk and I don't care, you know, I'm just getting outside. But that was the best I felt all year running, all year, so. I think a lot of people know exactly what you're talking about and know exactly that feeling. And planner is the worst. Oh, it's so hard to get that back to normal. And is it, this is just an off topic. Is it weird for a medical doctor to go to another medical doctor to get checked out? Does anybody make it weird? I've just thought about that. Yeah, like, yeah, no. So, so I'm married to a doctor, which makes it easy for me. Uh, <laughs> but I have to say that when I have a problem, especially like with my feet or whatever, I'll just text a friend, like an orthopedic. Mm-hmm. I have a friend who's a foot specialist. And actually, when I had really bad plantar fasciitis, I did get an MRI, and it, you know, what it showed: plantar fasciitis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Technology is amazing. It's amazing. amazing. But what I will say is that if you do have plantar fasciitis, the thing to do is either fascial scraping or the Ashley Black thing, whatever it's called, the uh, fascia blaster, and to do that religiously, even though it hurts. Because the reason why we get it is because of some contraction in the tendons. And if you can get more blood flow to it, and also with plantar fasciitis, you have to stretch your calves a lot. But that's how I got over my plantar fasciitis was really using, you know, just stretching and using these tools to kind of scrape the fascia. Yeah, I know exactly that tool you're talking about. I have ultra, ultra flat feet. I don't know anybody in the world who has flatter feet than me. If I mean, they're just 
flat and I had plantar and I had a, a navicular fracture. I believe that's what it was called. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Ouch. Yeah. That's right in the middle of the foot. Right in the middle of the foot. Have two yeah. pins in there right now. Uh-huh. And plantar came right after that. And stretching, you know, using a, I used the, um, a new tennis ball every day. Like I got it to a point where I was using a new tennis ball, like every couple hours. Cause I was just, but it's one of those things that if you don't take care, if you, you're not intentional about taking care of it, like it's not going to go away. It's just one of those things. Yeah. So, but that's gotta be tough like that. You know, what's your kind of mindset? I know you, I've seen you kind of light up talking about running. Like what's your mindset when you have like a na- nagging injury that just won't go away and you can't run it? Are you the type of person that's like, I'm going to do everything I can to get back into running or you kind of get down on yourself and, oh well, man. I, you know, I've spent the last like four or five years really working hard on my inner critic, even though it still shows up and I call it the bitch inside my head who tells me I suck. Um, <laughs> that's not very... <laughs> Uh, okay. I, w- I won't respond to that, but go ahead. No, you can. You can. But, you know, that that's just what it is. I mean, there is a there is this thing that talks to us. I mean, not everyone has a voice in their head, but I do. And the way for me that I got free of that voice was to understand that I can't be the voice. The voice is not me because I'm observing the voice. And I know that's a little bit meta, but that was one of the most freeing things is to really understand that I'm the witness of the voice. And there's ways to overcome that or to befriend it and say, well, thank you for trying to help me, but I'm just going to go ahead and do this other thing anyway. But anyway, when I can't run, I mean, I have a full gym in my basement. And so I'll use the elliptical or I'll ride the bike, but I've stopped riding the bike outside because here in Westchester County, New York, cars are really aggressive. And I, when I'm up in Cape Cod, I'll ride the bike outside. They're really cool, but I'm afraid of the the cars here. I, I just really like living. I'm surprised you even tried to ride a bike in Westchester, New York. That's, I've driven through there to. once and yeah, they can uh, be a little aggressive. So, well, that's good that you've, it, I'm glad you answered my question that way because there's so many runners listening to this show right now where they will do anything they can to continue to run because it is a part of them. It's a huge part of them. And when we have that nagging injury, when we have that, because pain doesn't just happen. Pain is our body telling us something, whether it's acute, whether it's whatever, whether it's a sore muscle, pain is our body telling us something. And runners, I don't think I've met another group of people who are really good at just saying that pain is not there. Nope. It's not there. Not there. Just going to run. Just going to run. Well, the good thing about running is that, you know, after a while, you know, you just don't feel anything. Right. And so, you know, you do get that endorphin rush and that's pretty nice. But I mean, I'm going to be 58 years old next month and I love this body. I love this body because when I was 18, I couldn't, I mean, I ran a seven mile race in 2018. I did the Falmouth road race and I did it at 11 minutes a mile. And so that was, you know, four years ago, but I was really happy with myself. That's great. Congrats. That's great. Yeah. When I was 18, I remember the first time I ran about three miles without stopping. I was in this class. I was a senior in high school and I took this class called Reading, Writing and Running. And that's when I really started taking running seriously. And it was just like you had to run at least three times a week. And I think I ran more than anyone else, any other female. I ran more miles. And the first time I ran three miles without stopping, I I felt so accomplished 
And then I looked down and I had a big chafe mark. I had chafing on my thighs. And then I thought, oh my God, I'm fat and I suck. And because <laughs> this was back in the 80s when everybody wore short shorts. So I had, you know, I had that whole shaming kind of feeling afterwards, but I didn't let it stop me. And I started putting Vaseline on my legs because my thighs rubbed together and I just accepted it. But what I love about the body that I have now is I couldn't do much more than three miles. And yeah, I was probably running nine and a half minutes a mile at the time, maybe eight and a half, but I never really pushed myself. I never really timed myself. And I did a sub 30 minute 5k a couple years ago. And that's apparently like the Holy grail for people in my age group. So That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Sub 30 is great. And I'm glad you brought this up because I want, I've been wanting to talk about this with somebody for a while. And, and you had mentioned being happy with the body that you're in right now. There's so many people, including myself, I'm working to that through just different coping mechanisms and trying to be just nice to myself and, and making sure I understand that this is the body that I have. This is mine. This is mine. I can do with it what I want. I could do bad things to it. I can do good things to it. But at the end of the day, it's mine. And I actually, and I mentioned this before, I have another podcast that I host called Relatively Normal. And one of the episodes I did was called Let's Get Naked, all about body image and all about people becoming comfortable with their body and using specific time in their life to just look at what they have. And for you to get to a point, because you've talked about your teenage self and you've talked about yourself decades later, but now is when you're getting comfortable. Why do you think that is? Oh, well, you know, I grew up with a lot of trauma. I had sexual trauma from early age. And one of the things that happened with that, one of the things that a sexual predator will do is whisper in your ear that it's your fault. It's your fault. And children before the age of seven are just sponges. Children, you know, the brain is in what's called an alpha state, which is a receptive state. And so we take, that's when we learn our identity. That's when we learn what's real and what's true and all of the beliefs. And that's why if you can get a child before the age of seven, you can do just about anything with them and make them believe anything. And the thing that always comes to mind when I think about this is the Westboro Baptist Church, which is supposedly Christian church that hates all things gay. And they teach their children that and their children grow up believing that. So, but there's also, you know, the, like the fundamentalist Mormons and, you know, there's a lot of, religion is probably the easiest thing to talk about because there's so much indoctrination that goes on with, with the religion, but other beliefs. So the voice inside my head was really quite negative and it told me all these things. And so for me to start to come to befriend the witness and start to understand that that wasn't me, but this was beliefs that I formed as a child. And then to look for evidence to the contrary, that these things weren't true. But I don't remember the original question. So. No, no. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> it, just for people listening, like I can, we can see each other. We're on video. This is only on audio, but the type of persona you display, I mean, you have the perfect short hair, the confident glasses, you have piercing eyes, a great smile. Like you display confidence. You really display confidence. Every day you're working on something is what I hear. And every day you're trying to help others work on things too. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not alone in having trauma, and I'm not the only person. I mean, unfortunately, it's closer to one in two women or girls in this country have some form of sexual trauma. And I mean, every time I talk about it, I have people who reach out to me and say, this happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me. So we have to start talking about it. And the problem is, is that especially, and, and I didn't mean to get on sexual trauma here, but no, here we are. Fine. So yeah, we're here. I'm going to go ahead and talk about it. But the problem with sexual trauma is that there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of shame that's involved in it. And until you can kind of unshame what happened and realize that it wasn't your fault, even though the perpetrator said it was your fault. Nobody's going to come and kill you. Nobody's going to come and kill your family, even though that's what they're going to, that's, that's kind of what happens. They say things like that. And I do talk about all of this on the podcast. So getting to the point where I can separate myself from the lies that I tell myself. And the other thing that running did for me was I read this book called Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. And when I was just getting kind of back into running and, you know, running is, it's dose dependent, right? You're going to get better at it as you do it more. And so like, it's like the one exercise, it more than any other, more than swimming, more than cardio or lifting or biking. It is the one exercise that you can see progress pretty quickly as you allow time to pass. And so I was learning how to run again. I called it learning to crawl. And <laughs> And this was, I mean, I ran when I was 18 and then I had open heart surgery. And so I stopped running because I had open heart surgery and, and then life happened. And so I really picked up running late in my 40s again. And when I did that, and it might have been early 50s, I can't remember. But anyway, when I did that and I, it was dose dependent and I'm starting to deal with it. And I read this book, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. And I'm running it with every step. I love myself. I love myself. And this is what I was saying over and over and over in my head because I didn't believe it. And I wasn't trying to gaslight myself into believing it, but sometimes you have to say something over and over and over to get to the point that you believe it. And that's what I did. And that's running, I, I would say probably running saved my life. From one person to another, you're absolutely right with running. And I, for the longest time, had kind of a love-hate relationship with it where I love to do it, but I hated to plan to do it. Like I just, you're absolutely right. At the end of it, it's this like, you feel so ac accomplished. It's like, this, I got it done. But then like mile, like one and a half where you maybe want to do three or four or five, you're like, oh, I still have so much more to do. Like, oh, and you think about what did I eat? What am I going to eat? I got to get through this run. I'm so hungry. So, I'm so hungry right now. I know I should have brought water. God, it's hot today. Why did I wear a dark shirt? It's like, and you talked about this, like you got through your three miles. I feel accomplished. I got through my three miles. First time I've done that. Oh, I'm chafing. I must be fat. Oh my God. Like immediately it switches just like the human yeah. brain switches just like that. Yeah. And that's, that's true for so many of us. So many of, I mean, you're successful, you have to go to medical school, you have to go to, you know, residency or a thousand more years of school and then more school. And then you have, then you got this and, and you become a doctor and, and you're a surgeon and then you have this huge surgical staff and then, yeah, life hits you the way you didn't think it hit you. Yeah. And now you're talking about it and now you're explaining this to people and now you're opening up and becoming vulnerable and 
allowing people to see into a past, which I'm sure at some point you probably never wanted to talk about this stuff. At least half the stuff you probably never wanted to even mention it. Yeah, I really didn't. But I also realized that opening it up to the air and letting the light come in was the key to overcoming it. And to, I mean, do I still feel shame about it? Sometimes, you know, do I still, I mean, it happened, right? And it affected my life. There are things that will never change because of what happened. I have a really complicated relationship to sex because of what happened. I accept that. I don't remember a year of my life. I accept that. I'm glad I don't remember because that means I don't have to, you know, relive it over and over and over. But it's what makes me me. And so when I came to the realization that I can't change it, there's nothing I can change about the past, and regretting it isn't going to help, and blaming those people for my current life isn't going to help, the only thing I can control is how I choose to respond. And I decided to, you know, what I really want is to be free of this. I want to be free of this. And I can still be angry, but I can forgive. And I forgave for me so that I could get free of it. Now, when I think about it, do I get angry about my perpetrator? Sure. You know, they were weird and horrible men. But do I hold a grudge? No. And I would not be where I am today. I probably wouldn't have had the determination to get through medical school at 31 with a child with cancer if, <laughs> if I hadn't gone through those experiences. And so it's all of these experiences together have, you know, kind of come together to make me me now. And that's acceptance. That's freedom. And, you know, as a father of two young girls, eight and seven, about to be nine and seven. You know, there's just this part of me that right when the first one was born was like, I will do everything in my power to make sure this little girl becomes a woman. Like I will do everything I can. Yeah. Nothing bad is like, yeah, as a dad, you say nothing bad is going to happen to them. It's like you can't predict everything and you want to be around all the time, but sometimes you want the bad things to happen so they can learn from them. You know, you want them to fall off their bike. You want them to get a scrape. You want them to get in a fight with somebody. Not physical. I did not, not physical fight, yeah. but you know, to the women that are listening to this show and the numbers you gave out, it could be as high as one in two. I mean, we know there's women out there who have gone through this and mm -hmm. not talked about it. It's packed way deep. I'll never talk about it. You know, yes, I have a, an aversion to any kind of sexual relationship or any type of physical touch or any type of getting close to anybody. And they hear this show. What can you say to those women who just need that little extra affirmation to help them get to a better place, to be able to open up and at least help themselves? Well, the first thing I would say is there's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. You're not damaged goods. There's nothing wrong with you. The next thing is, is that if my discussion of this is triggering you, then you may want to seek professional help. There's lots of professionals out there that can help you through dealing with sexual trauma and can help you get to the other side without judgment. And one of the things that happens is that Women who have had a lot of sexual trauma or even one sexual trauma, it doesn't really matter. It's all trauma. We can start to think that, that things, everything's our fault. It's, we're to blame for everything that happens. And while there's a school of thought in the self-help world that you're responsible for all your outcomes, you know, I think that there's some flaws there because you can't control what other people do. The only thing you can control is your response. And then if you believe that event plus response equals outcome, which I think is true, the main thing is to get yourself to a response 
that will give you the outcome you desire. I think that is very, very poignant. And I think that's very good. And you're absolutely right. None of us on this on this show are, are psychologists or psychiatrists or therapists, but as a person who's been in therapy for much of, you know, most of his adult life, like I'm a huge therapy fan. Yeah. And please don't let one bad there. And I say bad therapist, like, listen, there's just some you don't connect with. There's just some you don't. There's so many of them. So don't let one you don't connect with, you know, deter you from trying to find another therapist. And to be honest with you, you know, talk to a friend and just try to make sure you take care of yourself. And I like, I like the fact that just you saying you're not broken, like people need to hear that. Mm-hmm. And I, I want to say this too, uh, before we go any further, like I know there's men on this show who have been, they've been affected by sexual assault and sexual predator. I understand that. Yeah. It's like one in yeah. six or one in eight boys, I think. Yeah. Boys and so, men. Yeah. I don't want to not discuss that, but this is, you know, this discussion is specifically about women and, you know, I want to make sure like that is so big to tell somebody nothing is wrong with you. And I mean, how freeing was that for you when you finally figured out that this isn't on me? Like I didn't do anything wrong. I'm a normal human being. I'm a normal young lady growing up. This wasn't on me. Like how freeing and liberating was that when you finally figured that out? This was a really gradual thing. It wasn't like a, an epiphany. Like sometimes somebody can tell you something, it can change your mind. You can go, right? In this case, it was really coming to it actually was running. It was running that did this. This is so funny because I've never even thought about it. But when I started running and I was able to do more with my, you know, 50 something body than I was able to do with my 18 something body, you know, my teenage body, late teens, that really helped me to, to realize that, you know, I'm okay. And I'm, I can learn still. And I can, you know, I'm not over the hill and all those things. And it did help me with, you know, some of the sexual trauma, even though I've been working on this for years and years and years. And it's like an onion. I mean, it still comes up sometimes and that's, that's okay. It just is what it is. And I wanted to mention about, about therapy specifically. And that is that therapists are taught to be distant in a sense, and they're not taught how to not gaslight. And it just like, if you have a doctor that you don't like, you can change your doctor. You do not have to stay married to a therapist you don't like. You know, what does somebody do when their doctor dies? They get a new doctor, right? What do you do when your therapist dies? You get a new therapist. I mean, so if you're not connecting with your therapist, there's nothing wrong with you. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just not a connection. Go to somebody that you feel is going to help you or can listen to you. And again, from somebody who has been in therapy, I've seen a couple that we just, after the first session, this isn't going to work. I've been to one a couple sessions. This is not going to work. And then the two therapists that I've had between, you know, living in Virginia and in Georgia that I've connected with, it's been some of the best discussions of my life. And it's helped me through some really tough times, including running, how running has helped me through so many tough times. So before you start to kind of wrap it up, do you have any plans for more running? Do you have any races you want to run? You have any turkey trots or anything like that you're trying to get to? <laughs> no, you know what? I, this year, is I didn't do any races. Last year I did a race and I did it. It was just over 30 minutes and I was really fried afterwards. So, and I just, my, like my nervous system just shut down and I was like, oh, I can't do this again for a while. And I was hoping that this year would be better. And I actually spent this winter in California, 
But I went into this really deep depression and I didn't, I didn't exercise for a couple of months. I just didn't do anything. And so I'm kind of crawling out of that. And while I know, you know, so, so when you get into depression, it's really funny. You know that if you get up and move your body, you're going to feel better. Mm-hmm. But you don't even feel good enough to get up and move your body, right? That's how it was for me. I was like, and I just kept beating myself down and beating myself down. And then, you know, promising myself that I would do it the next day and then not. And so, you know, it's so easy to break the promises to yourself. Yep. That's where for me, it's really become important that I have self-integrity. That's been one of the big things for me to really become a higher achiever is to not make a promise to myself I won't keep. It's one of those things you talked about, like we're not as nice to ourselves as we are to others. Because in that same depression, you will keep promises to other people, but you will break them to yourself all the time. So while I do hope you're able to get back to running, do you have to be outside or do you do treadmills too? You know what? I have one of those true form runners in my okay. basement gym and mm. I, that thing's pretty nice, you know, because it did help my running a bit, but I only run inside in the winter. I do run outside. And during the pandemic, it was, you know, it was really boring. I mean, it's just the same route every single day and I would mix it up a little bit, but it's really hilly here. Yeah. <laughs> and so I'd be walking up these hills or trying to run up these hills and I'm like, Ugh. But I, there's a reservoir not too far. So every once in a while, I'd drive down there and go on the reservoir. But yeah. Well, I tell you what, if I'm ever up in that area of the country, I will definitely have to go out for a run walk together. Oh, I'd yeah. appreciate that. So you said you're going to start getting into more shows, kind of getting your teenage years. Where can people find the show? Where can people find out more about you? So you can go to launchyourlifepodcast.com and that will take you to the podcast page on my website. And I actually, because of the new pivot, I don't really have a website. I have a like a little teeny opt-in at drgordon.me, D-R-G-O-R-D-O-N.me. And you can sign up to get stuff from me and I might send something, I might not. I don't know, this is brand new, right? Um, <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. if you go to launchyourlifepodcast.com and opt in there, then that's probably the best place to opt in. Don't even bother going to drgordon.me. Anyway, but I do have, I'm conducting market research right now, and I would love it if uh, if you're listening to this and you got anything out of this podcast, if you could go to discover.drgordon.me and uh, just answer the questions there. It's really just some market research. And, you know, if you opt in, I'll probably want to call you or talk to you or set, you, set up some sort of a meeting with you to learn more. So it'd be nice to get to know some more people. Well, Dr. G, you have uh, one gained a fan and gained a listener to your show. I'll definitely be listening to it. And uh, never know, may have a few market research people for you too. But thank you so much for being a part of the show. I really commend you for opening up and being vulnerable and in 6 a.m. run fashion, incorporating run into it. And this was really fun. I appreciate you being on the show. Good luck to you in your future endeavors. And please come back if you ever want to talk more about this and let us know about the teenage years in the podcast, okay? I'd love to. Thanks so much for having me. All right, you have a great one. 